is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Thank you. Um, it's great to be here among praying people, amongst family this morning. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about prayer today. It was such a pleasure to discuss it last week. So it's a delight to delve a little further today. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start by recapping why we pray before I hand over to Dave, who will look a bit more at the what that is involved in prayer. So last week, Tim showed us that prayer isn't a gift, which only some in the body have, but it's a given something we are all called to do as imitators of Christ. Jesus said, when you pray. He modelled himself the importance of withdrawing to pray, and he gave us a model by which to pray. And as I'm sure we all know, that model, the very first word is our, our Father. And to me, that shows what belonging we have. It's... It incorporates our adoption, our sonship, our authority, and it shows that it is for everyone. We were made for friendship with God. We're so loved by him. We've sung about that this morning. Um, We love him. He loves us. There's that two-way communion with him that happens when we pray. So it's not an option. In Isaiah 56, verse 7, It says, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. Dave's going to be unpacking that a bit more later. My house shall be called a house of prayer. It's his will. It's a sign that we believe in him. It's giving him our attention, which he desires. And something that I hope will encourage some of you that I came across a while ago. Uh, It's a quote by Max Lucado. Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. So it's not an option. And we have need of him. When COVID struck, a a lot was seen from 2 Chronicles 7.14. That verse was seen a lot. And I'm sure you all know it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We, as God's church, have a role and a responsibility to cause him to hear, to forgive and then to heal our land. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Quite awesome. But of course, we have personal needs too. And we've heard some great testimonies this morning. We know many instances in the Bible where we see Jesus minister to needs. And you might think, well, why do we have to ask? Because God knows what we need. But he loves our humility. He loves the fact that we show that we need him. So prayer is not an option. It's a given. We have need of him. And then it demonstrates, and it's a statement of, our relationship 
our authority and our faith. John 14, 12 to 14, tells us that we'll do greater things than Jesus did. It says that if we ask in his name, he will do those things so that the Father will be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, Dave and I were discussing that asking in his name. You know, we often finish prayers with in Jesus' name. So what does that mean? Well, I was thinking about the analogy of myself as a teacher. I might see something going on uh, across the playground that I want to stop. And I might have a child next to me who's much faster at running than I am. So I will say to that child, go and tell uh, Bob, I'll say Bob because the children like that name, uh, that I need Bob to come over here. Now, if they just go to Bob and say, you need to go over there to Mrs Chapman, that child will say, yeah. But what I would normally do is say to the child, say, Mrs Chapman says she wants to see you. And so that child will go in my name with my authority. And hopefully they'll respond to that and come. So in his name, it demonstrates our authority too. And two of my favourite parts of the Bible are from Hebrews. One where it tells us that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus our saviour, our friend, is constantly interceding for us. It tells us in Hebrews that it, it, he is our high priest. So it's cancelled out all of that rigmarole that uh, his people used to have to go to to enter the Holy of Holies. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Also tells us in these uh, verses, Hebrews 4.14, that he sympathises with our weaknesses. He knows that we are weak. And yet we can go boldly into that place to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I hope that we all see that these are great reasons to keep praying. Thanks, Jill. Good morning. Mrs Chapman says... <laughs> I need to remember that more and more. <laughs> yeah, um, just just before I before I start, just one thing one thing to make sure that you're aware of is that this is not the gospel according to Jill and Dave. We've not got this cracked by any any way. You know, we have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks. But this is just a few thoughts, maybe some of our experiences and, and hopefully some of the inspiration that we've picked up. We'd like to we'd like to pass on. So, yeah, I want, to, I want to drill down a little bit on some of the things that Jill um, spoke about then, uh, in, in, in particularly about building the house of prayer. So when we use that phrase, I'm not necessarily talking about somewhere we go, but more about something that we are. Um, you know, it's about thinking about prayer that's woven into our daily lives. We become a place of prayer ourselves, don't we? And I think as we as we start to do that, three things start to happen. Firstly, we start to enter into a time of communion with him. That then can lead us into some contention and then that hopefully will lead us into conquest. So communion and contention and conquest are what I would suggest, you know, kind of a process for building a house of prayer. Um, and it's great that Tim was able to give you know, a bit of testimony of some conquest of prayer 
in that uh, hospital environment, and that's awesome. So when we talk about communion, it's a little prayer. Prayer is a natural aspect of our communion with God. It's not the only one, but it's one of our aspects of communion with our Heavenly Father, because we were made, weren't we? We were made to commune with God. We were made for friendship with God, as Jill said. Friendship, I think, is important to note, because God is not a scowling God. God is not a God that consistently looks down, disapprovingly, disappointed with us. You know, I, I guess for, for some time I kind of had that image of God, that he was waiting for me, waiting to stomp on me the moment I stepped out of line, if I put a foot wrong. And there were many times when I did that, and obviously he didn't, because you know, we are dearly loved children. We enter into that place of prayer as dearly loved children. God is not out to get us, and he's not a God that plays, plays tit for tat. Yet we are friends, Jesus says. You know, but as we draw close to him, into that secret place, maybe into that prayer room, you know, we cannot help but to reverence him, can we? We cannot help but to come before him from time to time and say, wow, Lord, that's amazing. Yeah, those times of adoration, those times of thanksgiving, we start to enjoy God for who he is, not just for what he can give. You know, these really are holy moments. But there's a danger too, that at times we could take that a bit too lightly. Sometimes these moments linger because he knows what will do us good. Now, we're still learning um, that there's not a single formula that guarantees to get our prayers answered, particularly to get our prayers answered in the way and at the time where we think God should be answering them. You know, he doesn't need us to twist his arm. Indeed, we, we, we might try, but we can't twist God's arm. He doesn't need us to persuade him. We enter the place of prayer simply to be with him. And that is a really difficult thing to do at times, particularly for someone like me who's a doer. You know, we don't enter just to ask of him. So it's also a time of confession, a time of listening, a time of surrender, and it's out of that time of surrender when we start to yield to him and his ways and his thoughts and his plans, then he takes us on that journey. You know, and we're all learning, particularly during lockdown. Yeah, Jin and I, we're, we're a BFC as we've been praying together, that the best place to be is at the eye of a storm. It's in the boat where Jesus was found to be asleep, even though the sea was churning up. It's that place of peace. You know, our times of prayer will almost certainly lead to those times of asking. Because asking is, as Jill said, is, 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 in a, is part of what Jesus told us to do because we have need of him. In Ephesians 6, 17 and 18, it talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end. Now, there are some links in that that we haven't got the time to go into in great detail, but a couple of key things to point out. It links the word of God and prayer. It links being watchful to praying, and it links persevering to praying. But I just want to go back and, and touch on that one word, supplication. And supplication is a need. It's about a want. It's about an ask. And the story that comes to mind is Jesus and blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, where we see Bartimaeus at the side of the road, a blind man 
crying out because he knows Jesus is passing. He cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that got Jesus's attention, but it didn't get him healed. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? See, God expects us to ask. And at times he expects our ask to be really specific. So just let's not be too proud to ask. Let's not be too proud in the big or the small to come and say, Lord, I have need of you. We have need of you. Would you do this for us? See, because when we ask and then he answers, we get to meet him. If Jesus had walked past Bartimaeus and just healed him, which he could have done without saying a word, Bartimaeus would not get to have met him. So when Jesus answers our specific prayers, we get to know him more and more, more closely. And a quote from Pete Gregg, which I love, he says, there are wonderful things that will only happen if we ask for them. So again, what is it that is on your heart to ask God for, be it big or be it small? Let's enter into that place of asking. So our communion with God can be anything from idle chit-chat, and, and he loves that too, but it could go through to nation-changing intercession. It's that communion that leads us to the place of contention and then leads us through, hopefully, to that place of conquest. There's a Swiss theologian called Gar, uh, Karl Barth who talks about intercession, and he says that when we intercede, and we know that intercession is just us standing before God in the gap for someone or a situation, when we intercede, we are at God's side and lifted up to him and therefore to the place where decisions are made in the affairs of his government. How awesome is that? It's about our positioning as we start to pray, as we start to intercede. God requests our presence at the very seat of government. How awesome is that? Yet, you know, how often maybe am I too busy, too disbelieving, or maybe too insecure to accept that invitation? See, we can boldly approach his throne, can't we? We can approach him in confidence. We need to do it. So a little bit there about, about times of communion with God, and, and, you know, that can lead to times of contention. Why contention? Well, because war began the moment we got saved. When you and I move from a kingdom of darkness through to a kingdom of light, and, you know, there's no in-between. I don't know about you, but I've tried to stand with one foot in each camp, and it, and it doesn't end well, does it? It doesn't work. And these two kingdoms, as we know, are opposing kingdoms because the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Yet Jesus came that we may have abundant life. Notice he says we may have abundant life. There's no guarantees, and at times we have to take it. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And anything that God has ordained for us to accomplish is going to be met with resistance, whether it be big or maybe it's small. You know, and I'm sure some of us, you know, last week we had a week of prayer and fasting. Getting into, log on into prayer might have been a battle at times. So we need to be aware, don't we, of some of the battles, some of the hurdles that we face. Maybe it's distractions. You know, Jesus said when we go into the prayer closet to shut the door, try to shut out those distractions. Maybe it was time pressures. Maybe we were tired because we've had a busy, busy week. And maybe it was commitments to other things. You know, and again, I'm sure there's another quote 
Now, we make time for the things we value, and that's really true, isn't it? We make time for the things we value. So it's about making sure that our rocks are in place each day and each week, the big things that we need to have to pay attention to, and one of them has got to be getting into communion with God, get into that place of prayer. And obviously, we all go through seasons in life. Jill and I, our girls are growing up. We possibly get more time to do some things that we want to do in terms of prayer at the moment. You know, if you've got young kids or if you're if you're working, trying to trying to wrestle with a number of things, particularly during lockdown, you might not have all of that time. God knows all of that. You know, there is something in our hands like the five loaves and two fish that we heard about this morning. There is something we've all got in our hands we can give him. However small that is at the moment, it doesn't matter because he knows. If we're aware of those things, we can try to do something about them. See, war surrounds prayer because the place of prayer will always, will always be contested. We need to ask God for a warring, a militant spirit and strength to fight. Because this is about us partnering with God. We're never alone. When we start to speak the truths of God's promises, you know, as we stand before him in intercession, when we start to agree with him and his promises, his power is released. So we can start to ask God to fan that flame of discontentment in our heart. It might be a strange thing to say, but we can't have a revolution if we're content because a revolution is about forcibly overthrowing in favour of a new system. And there's some things that we need to get to grips with. Like there's some things personally, corporately, we need to get to grips with to overthrow. And at times we just need to be more uncomfortable because it's out of that being uncomfortable we're driven to do something, we're driven to say something, we're driven to that place of prayer and warfare. We need to believe that our prayers and our intercessions can really accelerate God's purposes in the earth as the spirit starts to impact the physical. There's a lot more to be said about contention, but let's move on briefly to look at that place of victory, that place of conquest. And again, it was great to hear Tim mention that which was a huge conquest in prayer in that ward. And you know what seeds, what ripples have gone out from that time? A place of victory. You know, a couple of years ago, Jill and I had to enter into quite an intensive battle for probably a year or two. There were some things that were, that were happening to one of our daughters in particular. We had to go through a time of persevered prayer. It was a time of dogged determination. It was a time of belligerence. It was a time when we were angry, not at God, but at the fact that one of our daughters was being robbed. You know, there's a paradox in the Bible, isn't there? You know, on one hand, it says we can receive the kingdom. On the other hand, it says we have to take it by force. And sometimes it's a job to know exactly what to do. Well, I read something a while ago. I can't remember who it was from, but it really spoke to me. And it basically says, if your receiver is not working, use your taker. Really simple. <laughs> What's not working and what we try is, is something else. So we spent a year or two trying most things that we knew. We were taking authority. We had God's word we were standing on. We had prophetic words spread all over the lounge floor. We had lists of God's promises we were praying into and standing on and decreeing and declaring. We were persistently warring, persistently taking a stand. We tried to do all that we knew we could do to stand. More and more, obviously, realising that it wasn't down to us. That the more we handed over to God, because, you know, in one sense, we're powerless, but we know a God that's not. Sometimes it's right to wait for God, isn't it? Other times 
He's waiting for us to take a stand and to use our authority because, you know, we are Jesus' enforcement agents. We enforce Jesus' authority on earth. Yes, he's won the war, but there are still battles that we need to get into on a daily basis and enforce his authority. We actively resist, not passively accept. So Jill and I were battling together for a prolonged period. Um, you know, if Jill was at work and I was home here, we'd, we'd do it when we could together, particularly when we could. It was, it was hard work, you know, speaking out and standing on God's word. And when we look back now a couple of years, we are amazed at the turnaround that God has brought. And we are convinced that it was all about God's word. It was the power of God's word. It wasn't about us, but it was about speaking God's word. It was about standing on God's word and trusting that our hope is in God's word, because that is all we had. So that was a couple of years of intensive prayer. Again, in the midst of all this, something else came about. Again, it was one of our daughters um, had something, uh, uh, you know, that was coming against her. Oncology was mentioned, and that is a word that we did not want to hear. How do we pray? All I could do was to pray, you know, for, for a few days. She was at an appointment coming to the, the, the hospital. And what I could do was to think, Lord, may this be swift. May this be decisive. And may this be good. That's all I was praying. So I, some of these, some hospital visits can go on, can't they? You get a lot of waiting. Swift, decisive and good. And she walked into the consulting room in the hospital. Jill took out. Jill rang me on the way back. I was on the way back, driving back from work in Birmingham, praying, Lord, may this be swift. May this be decisive. May this be good. The consultant took one look at her and said, oh, that's nothing. Swift, decisive and good. Sometimes it's those short but specific prayers that get answered in exactly the way that we pray. But what if you haven't got a Jill to pray with? What if you're maybe on your own, you haven't got a family around you to pray with? Well, the secret place is obviously the place we all start. That place between you and God has to be the place that we start to build our experience of him. And then it's about getting together with people. You know, maybe there are friends you've got who share your passions, who will share your burdens. You can pray with somebody else and get somebody else to pray and agree with you. That's a good, strong place to start. Um, but then it's about getting involved in the prayer life of the church. What that might look like, you know, well, maybe that's a topic for another day, another conversation that we can have. So communion, contention and conquest. And again, I'm almost finishing with, a, with another quote from Pete Gregg. Pete Gregg, for those who don't know, is the guy who founded the 24-7 prayer movement about 20 years ago. He didn't start out to found the prayer movement. He started out with a few guys, a few friends as teenagers to get to know Jesus. And that's the way we start. Yeah. He says, I have come to believe that 99% of it is just showing up, making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. So we make a conscious effort to be present to a God who is constantly present to us. And we've just ended this week of prayer and fasting. And on Friday's prayer meeting, I think a couple of, couple of um, specific things happened that kind of spoke to me. Firstly, we started Friday's prayer meeting. Matt read a decree over us. Uh, and, and, and that decree was about starting 
entering into a new season. So I suppose my question on the back of that is what might that season look like for us personally and corporately, if we believe that, that is a thing we are entering into. And the second thing was that Lou said she distinctly heard a clarion call. Now, a clarion call is a strongly expressed demand or request for action. This comes at a time too, when the Archbishop of Canterbury has called the Church of England you know, to a time of, of, of national prayer. So again, the clarion call, the time of national prayer, Again, my question is, what is our response to this on a, on a personal and corporate basis? You know, this is not a time for loose cannons. This is not a time for our own personal agendas. This is a time, and it mentions it a number of times in Acts, this is a time of one accord, of one spirit, and one purpose, because Jesus told us, didn't he, to discern the times. Amen. Sunday morning.